Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Fourteen says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him whose works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. May we be blessed by reading God's word. You may be seated this morning. We're journeying our way through the book of Ephesians, and we've titled this series Ecclesia, meaning the church, or meaning the called out ones. And so we've been walking our way through these first these first few verses of chapter 1, and we've looked at the, the Apostle Paul and the man who wrote uh, the book of Ephesians. And, and in my opinion and many others' opinions, the, the greatest missionary, the greatest church planner the world has ever known and probably the world will ever know. He started all the churches pretty much in, in that uh, area of time. And because of his work, we the Gentiles, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, are here because of the work of Paul, his faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to preach and teach and to spread the gospel all over the world. The last two weeks we've looked at uh, this idea that God has had a plan from the beginning of time. Uh, amen? That God saw us in our fallen state and when Adam and Eve ate from the, from the tree in the garden. And at that moment, uh, in the fall, God had already preordained how God would redeem all of his people to himself. We believe that through uh, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross has accomplished all that God had intended it to accomplish, to draw people to himself. And so we, the church, are the ones that God has chosen to draw out of the world into the church to now bring him praise and glory. We've looked at that. The first week we looked at uh, when we got out of the greetings was the work that God did. God is the one that predetermined how this was going to go. God had a plan in place. And the last week we looked at how that plan was accomplished. The plan can only be accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ. If there is no Christ, we are all doomed. Amen? And this morning we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit. So what does God the Father, what is, what is his role in the redemptive history of the world? What was Christ? work of redemptive history in the world, and now what is the Holy Spirit, what is his work in the redemptive work of the Lord? I believe it's found in one word in this passage in verses 11 through uh, 14. It happens twice. It's the word an inheritance. Like in that moment that God called us to himself, he then puts on to us an inheritance. Amen? Thank God for that inheritance. I know this to be true uh, myself. I think all of us know the idea of an inheritance. It's something that's going to come. There's something that's going to happen for us if, if you were alive today, which you are. When, when your parents pass away, they leave an inheritance. It might be a couple pennies. It might be millions of dollars. But there's something that someone's going to leave to you. 
There's something that you're going to receive in the future, if you will. And Jesus Christ and God the Father, sealed by the Holy Spirit, has guaranteed us an inheritance. And so I would ask the question this morning that I think we all need to ask, what is our inheritance? I remember as a young child, I was adopted, and as a young boy, I I remember thinking to myself, I I can't wait for my inheritance. I can't wait to what's coming to me. It was greedy. It was selfish. Don't play it off like y'all never had that idea. I'm the only one in the room. That's not true. But I remember, and now I, I think to myself, I often forget the inheritance that's coming to me as a believer. And the gift in the inheritance is that the inheritance does not depend on us. There's nothing that you can do to inherit this inheritance. There's nothing that you can do to earn the gift. It's going to come to you. If you're a believer this morning, the inheritance is coming your way. We have a promise from God about that. And so this morning, I want to look at the grounds of our inheritance. Uh, This outline is taken from... Uh, 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 an amazing theologian. So it's not my outline, but when I was studying and preparing, I saw this outline and thought, man, all the study and all the prep, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. So this comes from uh, a man from California. So the ground of our inheritance, let's read the passage again. The, The first point is this, where the inheritance begins, the divine perspective. Let's read verses 11 and 12. In him, remember those two words, what those two words, that means in Christ. When we come to be believers, we're put into Christ Jesus. So in Christ, because we're in Christ, we now have an inheritance. Apart from Christ, we have no inheritance, no kingdom inheritance. We have damnation, but no inheritance. That we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And so the first thing that we see, it starts with God. In this passage, our inheritance starts with God. Now I'm going to get into, there's a part and a role that humans play. But it doesn't start with us. You notice that it doesn't start in verse 13 or verse 14. It starts with verse 11 and 12. And so we see these three things about our inheritance, the divine perspective of our inheritance. The first is this, that God had a plan. God had a plan to give us an inheritance. That's the word predestination. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been what? Predestined. That God predestined to give us an inheritance. It starts with him. That is a glorious word. The saddest part for me about the word predestined is called so many ruffles in the church. But this passage, we see it again, is about our assurance as the believer. This word predestined isn't about the unbeliever. It's about the believer to have the assurance. I read this quote this week, and I thought, man, that that is a great quote. It's going to say when we, the the writer says this, when we get into heaven, we get to heaven's gate, it's going to say, all are welcomed. And then we turn back around as we walk through the gate, it says, from those who I chose. So all are welcome. And God predestines 
knows. And so it starts with his plan. But it doesn't just start with his plan. What's the other divine perspective of our inheritance? The divine perspective is what? It's God's power. It's God's plan, and now it's God's power. See that word, works? The purpose of him who, what? Works all things. So God had a plan, and now God works his plan into existence. I'm grateful that that he doesn't depend on me for his plan. I hope you're not either. I hope that you're not sitting here hoping for your promises to come true. Anyone ever made a promise? I guess I'm the only one again. You and me, Frank. Let's try again. Anyone ever made a promise? And how many of us have broken promises? You know, God's made promises throughout his word. And the one thing about God's character is he never falters on his promises. Because he is always at work and accomplishes his goal. His goal is to bring himself glory through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to redeem others to himself. So that promise will always be fulfilled. He is always working on that. He's always working on his behalf to ensure our inheritance for himself. We'll get to that at the very last point. So the divine perspective is God has a plan. God has the power. And God has all the praise. We'll see that again at, at, at the last part. But he says this. To work all things according to his counsel so that we who had first hoped in Christ might be what? The praise of his glory. Like that is the divine perspective of God. That God would redeem the world, redeem you and me, redeem the church to bring himself praise. It means that he is the preeminence over all things thank god we don't have to give praise to anything else other than him and thank god that praise doesn't come to me because my head would be the size of this room and so god has a plan and he works that plan through his power and that plan and that power come together to bring all the praise to himself but the beautiful part about this passage is there is a part that we get to partake in the redemptive work of jesus christ human perspective three words stand out in verses 12 and 13 let's read 12 and 13 together so that we the word we there is talking to the jewish people right paul was a jew he's not talking necessarily to the gentiles he'll get to that point but he's saying he first addresses the jewish people hey we we're the first ones to have the hope that hope came through we heard through Abraham, Abraham credited to him as righteousness, his faith, his hope in the Lord. And so he's talking to the Jewish people. He says this, so we who had first hoped in Christ might be the praise of his glory in him, that's in Christ again, you also, now he's including us, the Gentiles, he's saying the you and the we, and now he's including all of us together. You, the Gentile, also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what is our role in this inheritance? Our our role is three words. I I believe the first one is this. Have we placed our hope in Jesus Christ? See, there, there is no inheritance for those who have not placed their hope in Jesus Christ. If you don't have hope in Christ, you have no inheritance coming your way. You see, God has to open your eyes 
to see his glory and his divine nature and th- through the opening of his, your eyes we place our hope into Jesus Christ so there is a role that we play the role is after having our eyes open we place our hope into something and so my question to myself this week my question to you is where's your hope lie this week does your hope lie in the inheritance that's coming to you eternally or does your hope lie into what you provide for yourself your job your money, your car, your relationships. Where does your hope lie this morning? Because if your hope doesn't lie in Jesus Christ, first and foremost, the inheritance will not come. The second thing that we see is this. What is our role? Is this, that we have what? We have heard the word of truth. And so my question then flips a little bit to this it goes back to romans are we allowing people to hear the gospel message you see if 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 the role is that god has a plan and a purpose for his praise and it comes through the means of hoping and hearing then my question to you my question to me is am i doing the preaching are you doing the preaching are you doing it so people hear the word of god you see because people cannot respond without what hearing And so we play a role in God's eternal work. Turn with me to Romans. It's one of my favorite passages. Romans chapter 10. Verses 13. We believe this to be true, I I pray this morning. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe that, church, this morning. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul then asks a few questions. Then we must ask ourselves. Verse 14. How will they call on him who they've not believed? How will they do the calling to believe? Is what Paul says. So how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have what not heard? And how are they to heal without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so if we believe this morning that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, then we got to answer the question that Paul asked through the rest of the passage, which goes back to where we're at in Ephesians. That people need to hear the gospel. And so that message, the gospel, has been entrusted to you as the believer. Now it's our responsibility to herald, that's proclaim, the good news so that people hear it. And so I beg the question this morning, are you preaching the good news wherever you go. You see, the so what of this passage is simply this. If we believe that people are saved on on those who call, then what, what do I need to do? I need to be preaching. So I ask the question, have you been preaching the gospel message wherever you go so that people will hear, so that they can place their hope, so that they can do the next thing? 
Let's turn back to Ephesians. When you heard the truth, the word of truth, that's the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, that's the good news of your salvation. Have people heard the good news about your salvation? If you're saved this morning, there's no other news that you need to tell anybody. Now that, that, that message ought to resonate in your heart and explode in you that you have been chosen by God to be set free from the bondage of hell. I've got a couple heads shaking. Amen? Like you were set free. You've been what we talked about a few weeks ago. You're now adopted. It's through your adoption that you get the inheritance. Do you not want to go herald that good news to people? I've told this story before. When I got engaged, it was well past 1130. I did not care who I was waking up. Because I had some good news. Someone said yes. I mean, I had never asked anyone before. But I thought, man, no one's going to want to marry this mess. But somebody said yes. And man, I could not help but to wake people up, to call my parents, to call her parents. I, we drove to her house at midnight, woke her parents up. I better not say that out loud. Something came to my head, I better not say that. I'll say it. I, I, my mother-in-law came out in her nightgown. I, I've never seen that before. Don't ever want to see it again. But she came out. I was grateful. Like, man, I was ecstatic to tell them the good news. Sorry. Thank goodness they're, they're wise in their age, so they don't listen to the podcast. But I, I, I didn't care. I wanted to be people to hear the good news. I just wonder for us. Do we have that same excitement for the gospel? It says, the gospel of your salvation. And what? Believed in him. You see, without believing in him, there is no inheritance. We must place our hope and trust and faith and belief that Jesus Christ is the risen son of god and when we do that we get adopted into the family of god we now have an inheritance it's, turn over to romans chapter 8 verse 17 hey y'all don't tell jenny i said that about her mom all right she's not here today ah uh, thanks jared it says this we not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons to whom we cry abba father and the spirit himself now bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and here's the catch and if children then heirs and heirs of god fellow heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified in him you see in the moment that we have hope and we've heard and we believe that we become children of God and when we become children of God he becomes our father and when he becomes our father then all of our inheritance from him are now yours amen and so that's the inheritance that's how it gets here but now what's the guarantee of our inheritance? You see, that's what he says in the passage. Does, does, he, does Paul not say that? 
14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. That's, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And so how do we have the guarantee this morning of your inheritance that's coming? Let's read verse 13. It says this. After you've believed, in that moment of belief, something happens to us. It says we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In the moment of our conversion, in the moment of being redeemed, the moment of being set free, there's now this seal that's been placed on all of us. And so what does this seal mean? What does this word seal mean? I think there's four things that we can pull out of the word seal and what the guarantee that we have in our being sealed in the Holy Spirit that God has redeemed us. The first one is this. Now that you've placed your hope and faith and that you are in Christ Jesus, the seal that's been placed on you allows us this first word, security. Like we now have the security in God's promise. The security is this, that it tells us in Matthew, that nobody can take you out of the Father's hand. That nobody can draw you out of his hand. That's the seal. That's the guarantee that you have. When you place your hope and faith, the seal is been locked over you and cannot be removed. There's nothing that can remove you from the work of God in your life. Which is the great beauty of our salvation. We don't have to earn it. And listen to this. We don't have to keep it. It's kept for us. We don't have to work. There's not, it's just, salvation is not work-based, as many people profess. We do not have to work to keep our salvation. We are secured. We are locked in. We are guaranteed that. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. You remember when Daniel was thrown into the lion's and they rolled the stone over and it said what? The king sealed the stone. That the only one that could come remove the stone was the king who sealed it. And the guarantee is we have security in our salvation because we've been sealed with God through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Not only does God seal us and keep us, but it's also a sign of authenticity. When we get the seal of Jesus Christ, that seal says, man, that is what it is. If you've ever seen a seal on something, if you have a birth certificate, there's the state seal. On your birth certificate, maybe we're just better in Texas. We have a huge one on the top of our birth certificate. It's, it's about this big because everything's bigger in Texas, right? But we have the state seal that says to whoever looks at the document, that's a legit document. You, you, you look at all the things on documents, there's always going to be a seal to prove its authenticity. Anyone ever bought something that you were like, man, that might be legit, but it might not be? Uh, toys, man, are famous for that. Don't ever order toys off the internet. Because w- we bought uh, Tennyson and Cedar uh, Toy Story, Woody, and uh, it's an old. But they came in the mail, and they looked real. And then all of a sudden, like three days in, they were just falling to pieces. But as we looked closer, they did not have the seal that they'd been authenticized by Disney. They didn't have that seal. And the same is true for us. We're secured in our salvation through the seal. But now there's this guarantee that that is what it is. They are legit. They are children of mine. 
There's the seal of the Holy Spirit on our lives. Not only does it show that we're authentic, but also now the seal shows who owns us. There's ownership with a seal. When you place a seal onto something, you're saying, that is mine. We did that with Tennyson and Cedar. Their birth certificates were sealed, but part of the sealing was the, uh, the, the, the ownership part that, yes, they are our children. We put our names on the birth certificate. And so God is saying that we're secure, we're, we're legit, and man, we belong to him. That's the seal of the Holy Spirit. The last one is this, and I believe it's the most powerful one for us to do. That seal now gives us the authority to preach the good news. Man, catch that. When we've been chosen by God and God's Holy Spirit has been placed on us as a seal, all those other things are true. But in all those things that are true, now they have the authority, we the believer have the authority to go and proclaim the good news. That is what God is saying. I stamp you with approval to go and take the gospel message to the world. Amen? Man, his seal gives us authority to stand. I have the authority today because of the seal of the Holy Spirit on my life to preach the good news. But it doesn't have to be behind a microphone. You don't need the authority to be behind this microphone. You have the authority in Christ Jesus, sealed with the Holy Spirit, commissioned by God the Father to go herald the good news. That's your authority. Go. Go. Does he not tell us to go? That's the authority that God gave us in the Great Commission through the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Not only does God seal us, but what does it say? There's this seal with us. He who, what, guaranteed or pledged in verse 14. So the pledge, the, the pledge or the guarantee is this. It's the word uh, that, that literally means to put a down payment on something. Think about that. That Jesus Christ was obedient to God and therefore put a down payment on yours and my life. I just want you to soak in that for a moment. Like when you and I bought a house, we, we put guaranteed money down, did we not? Like they, they asked for money up front. And that, that, that was a promise that I would go ahead and continue to make payments on that house. That was guaranteed money. And so what God is saying, not only has he sealed us, but he also guaranteed us or made a pledge that he will continue to do the work in us. That's what Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will continue to do the work in you. That's the pledge that he makes to us. It's a promise that he will never, what, leave us or forsake us. That doesn't just happen at the seal, but that happens at the guarantee. That happened at the payment on the cross, the ongoing work of Jesus Christ in your life and in my life. Well, Paul says, you have every spiritual blessing. You have everything that you need to live a life of godliness. That's a guarantee. Now, go and live out your salvation. That's the pledge. And the last one is this. So therefore then, what's the goal of our inheritance? 
Like if we've been reading this one sentence, verses 3 through 14, one sentence, the longest sentence in the Bible, we've got to get to the, the end. Like, Paul, you've been saying all this about our inheritance. You've been saying all this about our salvation. You've been saying all this about the work of God. You've been saying all this about the work of the Son. You've been saying all this about the work of the Spirit. Then so what? Like, what's the point, Paul, in all this? And what does he say to us? Who guaranteed your inheritance until he required possession of it. I could go back and teach that. Because one day we will spend all of eternity. That's our possession. He will completely own us. All of us. When we get to heaven. There will be no sin nature in us. We will finally be completely his. There will be nothing that wages war in us against the Father. When we enter into to glory. Amen. Like the, 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 the presence of sin in our lives will be gone. We will totally be his. Okay, Paul. Then what for? And he says it, to the praise of his glory. So all this that Paul's been talking about is for one purpose and one purpose only. It's not about your salvation. He's not doing all this theology to point to us our salvation. That's That's a part of it. But all this working, all the predestination that God had, all the calling of God's people, all the orchestration of the church, all the gathering of the saints, isn't for our salvation. It isn't even for lost people, but it's what? It's for the praise of his glory, which says it's all about him. You see, if it's about our salvation, then there's a part of it that's about me. But this passage says, and throughout the Bible, we see it's always, always going to be about God amen and so I beg the question does your salvation point you back to the praise and glory of God every day do, do you remind yourself do I remind myself every morning that I got get up man God did a work in me and through me and for me that I could not do for myself I could not save myself. I I was filthy rags. I was a disaster. And yet God, in his mercy and his grace, opened the eyes of my heart. We'll see this in, in in next week when Frank comes to preach. He opened the eyes of our hearts to see the great mystery. Now I'm here today. Not because I placed my hope and faith in Christ, though I did. It's because he opened my eyes and ears, and then I placed my hope and faith into him. Man, that ought to stir my affections for the Lord. Like, one day I was headed to hell, and the very next moment I was headed to heaven. I mean, if I, had, if I had died that night when I was 18 years old in Texas, minutes before uh, accepting Christ as my Savior, if I had died in that moment, I would have spent the rest of eternity apart from Jesus Christ. That is terrifying to me. But because of God's great mercy, that's his great grace, he gave me a few more breaths. 
to make it to 2 o'clock in the morning to place my hope and faith and trust in Him. I don't care how good you were. I, I don't care if, if, man, you've known God your whole life. There was a moment that you placed your faith in him. And apart from that moment of placing your faith in him, if you had a died, you would have spent all of eternity apart from him. If that does not stir our affections for the Lord, I don't know what it's going to take. So the goal of our inheritance is not that we are acquire more stuff. It's not that we get to heaven and, man, I can't wait to get to the mansion that awaits me in heaven. I can't wait for all this stuff in heaven. No, the inheritance, the goal of my inheritance has been I can't wait to get to heaven so I can be without sin to praise a holy God forever and ever and ever and ever. That's all I'm going to be doing in heaven. That's the goal of our inheritance. But it can start today. We don't have to wait for that inheritance. We can bring praise and honor and glory today. And so I beg the question. Are we doing that? Palace Chapel. Are we bringing him all the praise? You see, this morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. As the deacons come forward, I want to remind us about the Lord's Supper. See, taking the Lord's Supper is a reminder of his body broken, his blood, blood poured out for us. I want to read this passage as we prepare ourselves. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When Paul is talking to the church. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Catch this part, church. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. And so I pray as we prepare this table for you, we prepare this table for ourselves, I would ask us to do an examination. Are you and I in the place with our hearts before a holy God to take this bread and juice? I'm not saying this morning that you have to be perfect and you have to be completely uh, without sin this morning, but I am asking you to examine your heart. If there's anything in your life that's unconfessed before a holy God, do not take the Lord's Supper. If that's true for you this morning, then confess it. In that moment of a confession, then you're made right and not in and of yourself. It's what Christ does through our confession. And I would say this, if you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus Christ 
as your Lord and Savior. We are grateful you're here. It takes great courage and boldness to come into a church. But if you do not know him, this table is not for you. Please do not take this bread and this juice just to fit in with everyone else. This is a sacred thing that God has given us to remind of his, his great sacrifice for us. And if you do not know about that sacrifice, please see me, see one of the deacons that are up front. We'd love to share with you what it means to see the Lord Jesus Christ for who he was, your risen Savior. And if this morning you're not here and the Lord is stirring in your hearts and you want to make that profession of faith, please do so. Find me, find one of the deacons. But let's be remembered. Church, the believers, there is a great inheritance awaiting for us. And we remember that through the work of Jesus Christ.